At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. This episode of Burnt Toast is brought to you by Green Chef, the organic meal kit delivery service. Green Chef is giving Burnt Toast listeners $50 off your first box. Just go to greenchef.us slash toast and you'll automatically receive $50 off. That's greenchef.us slash toast for $50 off. Welcome to Food 52's Burnt Toast podcast. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day, but it can mean different things to different people. For some, it's a time for peaceful reflection. For others, a moment to bond with family, friends, or community. And let's get real. For a lot of us, it's a frenzied affair that's eaten in such a rush, more of it ends up on our shirt than in our stomach. While in English, the word breakfast initially meant breaking fast from the night before, that meaning shifted during the 15th century to the old English term Morgan met, or morning meal. Whether you like your breakfast sweet or savory, there are breads, bowls, pastries, and porridges from around the world, just inviting us to put an egg on it to start the day. We ask, how do you start yours? Breakfast Club, one word, is part of a global networking event run by Emily Elise Miller. She focuses on breakfast and morning time rituals around the world. Why breakfast? Why the morning? The morning is, is the most personal time of day. So if you're inviting somebody over for dinner, I feel like that's amazing and it's hospitable and it's so nice to have that time. But if someone invites you to a breakfast, you are waking up earlier and you are dedicating your time and your brain to these people where you could otherwise be sleeping. So it means a lot to have all these people wake up and connect and talk. And I try and reward them with good food and cool art. Do you think this kind of creativity is exclusive to breakfast? So whatever type of morning person you are, I think breakfast is just, it's such an intimate, humanizing time of day. So to me, it is really creative because those morning hours, whether you're choosing to sleep, eat, or read, do whatever you need to do, to me, that is the most creative time of day because it's all your choice. I mean, if you have kids, it's part of their choice as well, but... Um, it's, it's been really interesting to travel and talk with people about their morning rituals and routines. Emily is part curator, part matchmaker. And though you'll often find her running around a bit crazed playing hostess, she's just there making sure everyone is talking to the people they should be talking to. A great connector, many projects have Breakfast Club to thank as their impetus, including the following. This is a Impossible Breakfast Burrito. Roasted tomato, jalapeno, chipotle, sauce all up in there, avocado, hash browns, cheesy eggs. 
Then you have an ube sugar cookie and a peanut butter acai bowl with a calamansi sour cream. That's Chef Jordan Andino of Filipino Taqueria Flip Siggy with multiple locations in New York City. He hands me a well-designed-to-go bag of reinterpreted fast food. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Filipino food, a big portion of it is eaten in the morning. Everything from langanisa, tapsilog, and suka, like all over your eggs, and inanunan, which is like another kind of pickled fish. It's, it's delicious, it's fantastic, and it's a good way to open up your, your palate. It's a fascinating array of breakfast clubbers, all awake and engrossed. That's where I met Jessica Applegren, VP of Communications for Impossible Foods. They were a partner in this gathering and actually met Emily, the founder, by attending another one of her breakfast club events in Austin, Texas. I met Emily through a friend who does coffee, which is key to this whole series. (laughs) (laughs) And necessary for breakfast. Yes. Um, And he told me to come by one of these breakfast club events that he could not explain what it was, but that it was awesome and that I would get it the second I walked in the door. So I did, and I got it instantly that it was a table of people that may know each other, may not, are all creative, that are all up at eight in the morning to have conversations, meet someone new, um, taste something different, and then get out. The idea stuck with me that it would be something we, we should be a part of. Impossible Foods began in 2011 and is known in the food industry for its Impossible Burger, meat-free meat that bleeds when cooked. They were here looking for imaginative ways to bring their product to the people through breakfast. Yeah, I think that's what really distinguishes us, too, from, you know, the veggie burgers of old, is that this is meat. It comes in, a, you know, five-pound bricks that chefs are doing all sorts of things with. We've actually made breakfast sausage out of it really effectively, and it's, it's a perfect substitute for a sausage patty. So Impossible Burger in a breakfast format is not too hard to imagine when you just think that it's ground beef that you would put in any other breakfast dish really made me realize that there's a world of breakfast sandwiches, you know, that that could be created here. I mean, everyone loves the breakfast sandwich. I've never heard a truer statement. The bacon, egg, and cheese is my quintessence. For Bubu, the artist behind the Egg House, it's the egg. This particular event was held at the Egg House, a pop-up museum to all things egg in New York City's Lower East Side. Pink spatulas and whisks hang from the ceiling. There's an oversized egg carton that you can climb into for a photo. She jokes that she doesn't wake up early enough to have traditional breakfast, and is much more of a brunch person. We can have this brunch-isn't-breakfast dispute another time, but for the sake of this argument, don't most people eat egg-based breakfast items for brunch anyways? Everything I'm, I design is for the egg. Chinese breakfast is totally different with uh, American's breakfast. We, we don't eat sandwich, we don't drink the coffee in the morning, you know. We, we will eat the noodle dumpling like these things in the morning because we have to make ourselves very full for the whole day. The culture for egg is totally different between two countries. Like the Chinese people, they were, we, we don't have the egg band-aid. Uh, dishes we made is about egg with tomato. Huh, what is it called? Egg with tomato. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very delicious. find Emily again and learn that she's writing a book called Breakfast, the cookbook, due out spring 2019, all about breakfast cultures around the world. 
what are some of your favorite new breakfast recipes from your travels and routines that you hope to incorporate into your life? Mexico City is, I hope, one day going to be my second home. I am obsessed with the culture, the food, everything. So chiquiles are something that I make at home and something that I hope to always be eating for breakfast. So chiquiles are tortilla chips that are soaked in a salsa. I like them with salsa verde and topped with sour cream and sometimes raw onions, sometimes shredded chicken, sometimes a fried egg. So it's kind of whatever you like, but you can do salsa verde or salsa roja or sometimes both. Um, and I think the best ones are in Mexico City from the street carts where it's just like a styrofoam cup filled with chips and they crush down the chips a little bit and just ladle in a giant heaping spoonful of salsa and it's topped with all the good things. And then they top it with a lid and it gets a little bit soggy on the bottom, but then you get these bites of the crispy chips on top and it's, I mean, it's great. I was able to catch up with Emily after breakfast and sit down with her to learn more about what breakfast club dishes have inspired her the most. Gabriela Camara from Kala in San Francisco and her chef Kenny did this incredible breakfast burrito. I mean, I feel like the best foods in a way are the ones that are a little bit nostalgic and maybe do remind you of fast food to a certain extent, but it kind of tasted like a Taco Bell burrito (laughs) in, in the best way ever. And um, it was, it was just perfect. I mean, they make their own tortillas, they make their own everything. They just care about all of these ingredients. So when you see that all come together into one kind of compact package, it's, it's really awesome. Are you a breakfast person or not? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> That's Anna Polanski. She and her partner, Amy Morris, run a 360 agency for the hospitality industry called the MP Shift. They're the team behind such all-day cafes like Demaria and Vinegar Hill House Foods in New York City. They offer a holistic scope to restaurants, building the full vision from concept to graphic design to interior design, even marketing strategy. We met at one of their clients' places called Golda. Its Mediterranean blue tile facade sits at the egress of Franklin Avenue's elevated train stop in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn. Amy, Anna, and I sip our coffees and talk breakfast over breakfast. I'm a uh, weekend breakfast person. During the week, it's just we're waking up way too early for my body, I think, to be ready (laughs) for breakfast. We do bring a lot of breakfast at the office and, and share a lot of breakfast with the team. What do you bring to the office to share? We all love to bake. so Or we have a husband that loves to bake, or a pastry chef amongst the team. So we all contribute whatever is inspiring us that weekend. Usually someone will bring something on Monday. Is that a rogue banana bread? What, what is it? Yeah, that was a good guess. It's a banana bread Anna's bringing in this morning. The all-inclusive all-day all cafe, I feel like, has become your niche. I mean, I know you do that much more, but what does All Day Cafe mean to you? How does it change from morning to noon to night? All Day Cafes have become so important in communities now because they federate people. When people are living in apartments by themselves, it's great to come down and feel the energy of a cafe. Even in the background here, you can probably hear the energy of the cafe. Um, And it's a place where people work and have meetings, and now it's called the third space. So you have your home, your office, and the cafe. So it's been a big part of life. I've heard about these third places. Ray Oldenburg wrote about it in his book, The Great Good Place. 
arguing for their importance in civil society and civic engagement. It's the space where it's not work and it's not home, but a space where you spend a lot of your time during the week. Do you feel like it's more akin towards breakfast than it is dinner or after work now? We actually just, uh, we're working with a hotel in Paris and we, we're doing the food and beverage concept for them. And we were saying you should have an all day cafe, Californian style, because it's very new in Paris. And a lot of Parisians are like, okay, but how's an all day cafe, American style different from cafes? We've always had cafes that are open all day, right? Historically, it's a bit of a different food and a different design, obviously. But then... Uh, I think there is much more of an event culture in America. So breakfast, the real moment, after work is a real moment. We don't have an after work thing in France. It doesn't exist. You know, it's just every day you can have a glass of wine or an apéro, but it's not such an event. So I think that's the difference. I think the cafe culture in Paris was not so moment related. It was just always a place to gather. Whereas here, it's really you're going to schedule your day around your cafe. You're going to go for breakfast. You're going to work. You're going to. It's a very different uh, way to see the day. This may be a silly question, but is there breakfast in Paris? I know there's croissant and coffee, but is there something more defined as breakfast? We always had amazing breakfast because we have amazing baked goods, obviously. But I think it's new for people to go out and spend money for breakfast. I think historically, you would just make your coffee at home and you know, have bread and make tartines, maybe grab a croissant on the way, but you would never go and like, sit down for breakfast as much as, as here. So I think it's changing. I think people are working more remotely now, which probably changes as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, with Instagram and people traveling, there is more of an Australian-American culture, probably. Sydney, Australia has so many great spots, I think. What, what is Australian breakfast other than a flat white? Well, the avocado toast, I feel, came from there. Really? Yeah, I feel like it started in Sydney, for sure. I'm hung up on this avocado toast from Australia thing. <laughs> Where do you think it originated? I just never thought about it. Like, I, I never thought it's just immaculate conception. It just happened somewhere. Note, though I'd like to go down the wormhole of avocado toast origins... For the sake of this episode, let's just say there have been various written accounts of the first avocado toast as far back as the late 19th century, and that's not even including avocados eaten with corn tortillas in Mexico since the 1400s. Let's talk about this menu, because I selfishly said we should meet here because of this, because it's Middle Eastern, Turkish influence. When we're traveling, we do have a Middle East, a Turkish breakfast. Anytime we travel, we spend a lot of time talking to the chefs about what the trends are, what, why they're cooking, what they're cooking, what they found out when they traveled. I mean, it's important to us to be close to what's happening in food. Back to what we were saying, everything's mixing. You can now work and have friends in the same place. I feel like there is less of a differentiation between breakfast and lunch more and more. You can have more savory at breakfast. Um, you can have more healthy at breakfast. You know, it's not necessarily the whole breakfast basket. So yeah, I think it's become quite normal to have the same menu night and day. Breakfast can be the dawn of something big, the source of daylight, or your next big idea. When we return, we'll hear stories of some of those creative sparks. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hard-working hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. 
You're listening to Burnt Toast, and this episode is brought to you by Green Chef, the organic meal kit delivery service. This episode is all about how personalized food truly is. It can be an expression of creativity that brings us closer together, but sometimes, during those busier moments, it's just about fueling your day deliciously. Green Chef brings the ingredients for gourmet meals right to your doorstep. They do the heavy lifting so you're able to spend time with your friends and family instead of meal planning, grocery shopping, and prepping. Simply sign up, pick your meal plan, and that's it. Convenient deliveries will come right to your door when you want them. Green Chef is giving Burnt Toast listeners $50 off your first box. Just go to greenchef.us slash toast and you'll automatically receive $50 off. That's greenchef.us slash toast for $50 off. And now, back to Burnt Toast. Breakfast is a place of sanctity to some. To George Weld, it holds utmost significance in how he leads his life. In 2005, a hot dog joined in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, called Sparky's, sat in used during the hours of 7 a.m. to 12 p.m. This spark of creation led Weld to open up egg only in the mornings, and his personal choice brought him closer to the humble egg. I was vegan for quite a while, in, um, like in high school and college, so I wasn't eating eggs of any kind, but I, I was also just kind of grossed out by them because they were always badly cooked, and so I didn't understand how good they could be. And then after I fell off the vegan wagon, I think I was having breakfast in Key West, so everything already felt kind of odd and magical. We we went to this place and I ordered something that had a poached egg on it. And for the first time in my life, the egg was poached properly and the yolk was still fully runny. And it was like, oh, this is why people get excited about this. George went home and started cooking again. After having been burned out from years in restaurants during high school and college, he set to work on poaching eggs to perfection. When an egg is poached properly and with just the right amount of salt and pepper, it's, the, I mean, it's one of the best things you can eat. The minutia obviously informed the name of your restaurant, Egg. <laughs> but that moment of a perfectly cooked egg, it, it's a very small latitude. The nice thing about eggs is that they're actually pretty, they seem really fragile and delicate, but, but they'll put up with a fair bit of poking and coddling, no pun intended. How many years has eggs, Egg been open? 13 this month, actually. How have you seen people approach breakfast differently in that decade and a half? I told people, yeah, I'm going to open a restaurant from 7 a.m. until noon. And everybody's reaction was, but nobody in Williamsburg is even up before noon. There was really no one around who was doing breakfast just as like an unadorned, unapologetic version of it. At the very beginning, people were just grateful for it. You know, it was like, oh, pancakes. I haven't had pancakes in so long. And, you know, there was also a crazy cult of pork um, that ruled Williamsburg, especially for the first 10 years we were open. And so people just come in and, and it was always, always like a, almost like a performance of how much they loved bacon. And they were like, oh, can I get, oh, can I get extra bacon or more bacon on that? What if I put bacon on this? The new bacon, obviously, is avocado toast. But who are these patrons? I'm assuming you've been seeing a lot of the same customers for years on end. There's a woman who used to come at least once or twice a week. Um, and I would get the you know, when I would go into the restaurant in the mornings, I would raise the metal security gate up about halfway. So you couldn't, you couldn't see him, but you could duck under it and get into the restaurant. And for like the last 15 minutes before we opened, I would just see her pacing back and forth on the sidewalk with her stroller because her child wouldn't sleep. 
and she was, and they lived in a small apartment. She had to take her kid out of the house to keep it from waking up the rest of the family. And she would come in, and they would have you know breakfast together. Like from the age he was so young that she had to feed him little bits of egg in his you know while he sat in a stroller. To the age he he was drawing on the tables like everyone else, and you know coming in with his toys and actually learned how to sleep. Um, but those like those people didn't have anywhere to go um, before we opened. Everyone's like, oh, all New Yorkers want is a bagel from the streetcar. You're crazy. And turned out that wasn't the case. This cultivation of regulars, you know, you're creating this community for yourself that you're going to hopefully see episodically, that you are the beginning of somebody's day, that you're fortifying them, hopefully, throughout the rest of the day. How does that feel to you? By far, the most exciting thing about this job is... They come in often a little surly and hungry and, you know, rushed. And by the time they leave, they're in a completely different place because they've had coffee and they've eaten and they've taken a few minutes to talk to somebody or, you know, draw on the table. Just that simple, watching that transformation, that sort of daily transformation take place is really exciting. Ridden on the chalkboard at Egg is a passage from Edna Lewis, famed African-American chef and author, best known for her books on traditional Southern cuisine. Breakfast was about the best part of the day. There was an almost absolute mysterious feeling about passing through the night and awakening to a new day. Everyone greeted each other in the morning with gladness and a real sense of gratefulness to see the new day. We moved from eggs, paper, napkins to white tablecloths and talking to Ina Pinckney, the self-proclaimed breakfast queen of Chicago who on New Year's Eve of 2013 closed Ina's after 30 years of business, but still believes that breakfast can be an exalted time of day. How do you get a moniker like the breakfast queen? If you're really smart, you do what I did and you give it to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But why did you don this to yourself? Why are the eponymous breakfast queen? Good question, because in 1980, when I was eating breakfast out every single day because I had a bakery, and breakfast was horrible, and the coffee insipid, and it was the most thoughtless meal I had ever eaten, I thought somebody needs to make a magnificent breakfast, and I decided to do it as a fine dining breakfast. I decided that there wasn't enough flavor in breakfast. For example, I made a vegetable hash that had cumin and garlic and Tabasco in it. And then I took a dish like Scrapple, which I love the idea of because it was a life-saving dish on the farm. They would take the scraps from the slaughter, they would mix it with cornmeal and spices, they would loaf it, put it in the root cellar, and they'd leave it in the basement over the winter. And on a farm, on a particularly long winter, there were no protein sources left. They had already eaten up all the meat, but they still had this loaf of stuff that had protein in it, and it was life-saving. So I love the idea of the dish. I just hate the dish. I hate the color. I hate the smell, but I love the idea. So I decided to make mine a vegetarian version, which meant into cooked cornmeal, I put cheddar cheese and black beans and corn and a dirty spice mix. And then I chilled it and cut off a slice and saute it and served it with eggs and chorizo. So you have this idea of creativity changes the scope of breakfast when it was ordinarily something that people ate to sate themselves throughout the day and they didn't care what it was. But it's interesting that you note something like Scrapple, which was all about sustenance. And I wanted to make a nourishing breakfast in a nurturing environment. So I wanted there to be all of the rituals of breakfast with taking it to a completely new level of, um, of deliciousness and thought. How do you change those rituals of breakfast without sacrificing the sanctity of it? 
I have a whole um, a whole approach to this. So from the minute you walked in the door, somebody said, good morning, welcome to Ina's. And when you sat down, the busers who were pouring water would say, good morning, we're so happy you're at Ina's. And when you left, they would say, thank you for coming to Ina's. And on the way out, thank you for coming, come back soon, please. I made sure that the morning had a different sensibility to it. We told the servers, never check back to the table. You will know if they need something, leave people alone. We had some guests who never spoke. They would sit down, get the New York Times crossword puzzle. Then we left a pencil on the table for them. And then they would immediately get their check presenter at the same time they got their meal. They would open it up, put in their $20 bill, and leave. We never spoke to them. And we made sure that they never had to speak to us. Alex Olson is an academic on breakfast. She wrote her thesis about it. She's American and was born in New York State, resides in New Mexico, but lived just outside of Liverpool during high school, where she developed a fondness for traditional English breakfast known as the full English or fry up. First of all, it's one of everything. It's one fried egg. It's one rasher of bacon. And it's like good bacon. It looks more like a piece of ham with a little bit of fat and another wing of particularly delicious meat on the side. Often sausage, fried tomato, and fried mushroom. And one thing I saw that was for sure was there was never more than one of of any of those things. I mean, a little pile of fried mushrooms. But this isn't how you grew up. What, What did you grow up eating for breakfast? I grew up in somewhat rural New York eating cereal and Thomas's English muffins and bagels. And then I got to England and I said something about bagels and all my classmates looked at me and said, what's a bagel? And the kid raised his hand and said, I know what it is. It's a piece of, it's a piece of bread with a hole in the middle. <laughs> so then all of a sudden everybody's picturing a slice of processed bread with a hole in the middle. And they also assumed that as an American, I ate all my meals in front of a television on a tray table. So now they've got this picture of me eating a piece of bread with a hole in the middle in front of the TV on the tray table. I, d- I grew up eating a lot of um, like cereal and cornflakes. So learning about cornflakes and where they went was another sidebar that I get a really big kick out of. Well, let's let's not sidebar that and let's talk about cornflakes. Oh, you want to? Talk about- <laughs> well, just that they started off as a, as this idea of a health food. I mean, corn goes straight through you, and all of a sudden, people who ate it felt better. Would you believe that cornflakes were created by the Kellogg brothers in Michigan in 1894? And one of them created this sanitarium in the Midwest where wealthy people would go off and basically eat cornflakes and go to the bathroom more and come back like they'd had this revelation. And then the other brother just produced the cereal and he ended up becoming far more successful. But similarly, like in England, people were eating these big breakfasts. Well, people who could afford it were eating these really big breakfasts. But if you think about even just what I listed, there's no fiber in that as well. You could say there's a little bit in the tomato, but not really. And so all of a sudden people are taking cornflakes with their breakfast or instead of their breakfast as a health thing. And now it's just like anywhere else. It's become a convenience thing. So people were prioritizing convenience over health? People just kind of didn't want food that had fiber in it. And then, actually, if you're letting me continue to be, like, on the England side of breakfast, beans have fiber in them, but beans didn't get added to the breakfast until, you know, the 1920s when America started 
mass producing and canning food and then they got adopted into the English breakfast and a lot of English people will get kind of serious about the beans. Some people are in denial that they're an American import. Some people know it and they will therefore not eat it or they'll have it in, in like a little container on the side so that the sauce doesn't touch the rest of their food. I saw a lot of comparisons as I was going back through everything between like the country estate breakfasts in England, the rise of these these parties where you would have this increasingly large breakfast meal. When did the quick I'm in a rush breakfast begin? As we moved more towards like industrial and jobs and not farm work, you know, it was increasingly something that people took on their own or in small groups. Um, in like when I was reading back my Mexico breakfast, it wasn't something that anybody sat down and ate all together. The, the, the mother of the house would be up really early making the tortillas and dad would wake up and he would eat the, the biggest share of what they had. And then he'd go off to work and then the kids would sort of get what was left over. And none of the people I spoke to in Mexico remembered their mom even eating breakfast. She would eat while she cooked, maybe, but wouldn't eat it with them. Whether you eat it solo, as part of a community, or somewhere in between, breakfast gives us the freedom to plot out our days, to think big and dream. The universality is less in the food than the ritual. Coffee and croissants, chilaquiles with an egg on top. They're all there to nourish mind, body, and soul, giving us the transitory moment and everlasting hunger to see tomorrow be a better day. Thank you to Food52, my co-producer Jordan Werner, and Nick Rad and Michael Comite at HeadGum for recording. Music by Joshua Rule Dobson. Next up, in Spice is Nice, we ask, why do so many of us love spicy food? Sure, spices can help you cool off or better digest your meals, but there's so much more to it than that. From chilies to hot sauces to spicy cuisines around the world, we'll explore why we eat the foods that set our hearts aflame.